Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org slash match to maximize your gift today. Welcome to Florida Matters. I'm Bradley George. Florida's 2021 legislative session is now underway. Governor Ron DeSantis kicked it off this morning with his State of the State address. The governor defended his response to the coronavirus pandemic, including his decision to quickly reopen the state's economy. As DeSantis's national profile rises, the governor included lots of red meat for conservatives, proposals to prevent cities and counties from defunding police, changes to voting laws that critics say would make it harder for people to cast a ballot, and punishments for big tech companies that have deplatformed President Trump and other conservative figures. On tonight's show, we're going to listen to some excerpts of the governor's speech, and helping analyze his remarks is political journalist William March. So if if you had to quickly succinctly summarize what the what the governor had to to say in the speech what uh, what 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 uh, stood out to you um number 1 optimism that Florida has handled the pandemic that it's it's taken care of its economy the economy is wonderful it's going going great guns and second it was a campaign style speech it was um very much a recitation of the achievements that Governor DeSantis believes he has made and that were attributable to him in dealing with the pandemic, the economy, with open schools, and very much an attempt to portray him his, his first term in office as being highly successful. Um, very much a speech looking to his reelection next year and the possibility that he'll run for president in 2024. You mentioned open schools, and that's actually the first uh, excerpt that we want to want to play for listeners. Uh, and this is the governor uh, defending his decision, along with uh, the education commissioner Richard Corcoran, uh, to uh, uh, open brick and mortar schools for uh, for for parents who wanted that option. Across the nation, millions of students have been locked out of the classroom for nearly a year, and for many, there's no end in sight. These students have fallen behind on academics have been denied the opportunity to participate in activities such as athletics and have seen their social development stunted. The consequences of shutting kids out of school for a year, a year and a half, and heck, in some places, it will likely be two years. Those consequences will be catastrophic and long-lasting. The failure of so many places outside of Florida to open schools at the beginning of the school year will go down as one of the biggest policy blunders of our time. Florida didn't make that mistake, though. We followed the data and stood by our parents and our students. We ignored the political posturing and fear-mongering, and we did what was right for Floridians. And Florida has succeeded where so many other states have failed in providing opportunities for our students, in large measure because of the tireless efforts of school superintendents, administrators, teachers, and coaches. They knew that keeping kids out of school forever would be a disaster. And they weren't going to let that happen on their watch. So on behalf of a grateful state and millions of grateful parents, I thank you for your efforts. Given the unique circumstances you faced, you may never have an opportunity to play such a crucial role 
not only in ensuring opportunities for students, but also preventing long-term damage to our society. Job well done. Now, open schools have been a godsend to parents throughout Florida, especially our single moms who are responsible for putting food on the table. Economic lockdowns are a luxury of the largely affluent Zoom class. Many Floridians can't do their jobs over a computer. They need to show up. So there's the governor, uh, again, defending that decision to open schools, but also kind of taking a little bit of a, of, of a dig at other states that have had more uh, uh, restrictive lockdowns than Florida. Absolutely. Uh, there's no question that he's right. If you, are, if you are a working parent, having your child sent home from school is a problem. It makes it difficult for you to maintain your job, maintain your lifestyle. Uh, if you're a, a person who has to go to work, uh, a cop, a teacher, a construction worker, then you have a harder time dealing with an economic lockdown than someone who can work from home over a computer. There's no question that DeSantis is right about those things and that those ideas that he puts forward there will appeal to those kind of people. The question is, if you open up the state, how much longer, how much worse does that make the pandemic last? Well, uh, the governor, as we said, has defended that decision to, to open the state uh, saying it was the right thing to do. And uh, there was there was one point in the speech where he kind of went off the script a little bit. And uh, he talked about that decision to, to, to reopen the state quickly, that that's something that's that's appealing to new residents. So Florida's right to put seniors first. We're right to have kids in school and we're right to have saved the economy. And you don't even have to look at the statistics. Just look how people vote with their feet. There aren't a whole lot of Floridians who are itching to move from Florida to lockdown states. But there are thousands and thousands of people who are seeking to leave the lockdowns behind for the greener pastures here in the state of Florida. And we've long been known as the sunshine state. But given the unprecedented lockdowns we've witnessed in other states, I think the Florida sun now serves as a beacon of light to those who yearn to live in freedom. Now, William, Florida's... uh Population has been growing like gangbusters for for decades. Um, do we really know, though, that his that uh, Governor Ron DeSantis's decision to keep the state open that that's something that's attractive to people from from other places that might have might well, have more uh, restrictive uh, lockdowns? I think that's the key question. Ever since I've been in Florida for something like three decades, you've heard figures continually seven eight hundred seven hundred eight hundred nine hundred people a day moving to the state. Uh, that was, of course, long before the pandemic came along. Uh, Governor DeSantis did not cite any data proving that the economic decision or the lockdown decision had anything to do with the, the rate or number of people moving here. So we know the economic outlook for the state has been grim over the past year. We know unemployment's gone up. The state's facing about a $2 billion budget shortfall. But again, we didn't hear so much about that. The governor was trying to accentuate the positive and uh, particularly uh, with with our peer states, like the other large states, Texas, New York, California. And uh, here's that part of the speech. Now, when the initial fallout from COVID began, there was a lot of concern about whether we could afford to continue with the progress we had already made 
on our priorities like protecting our water resources and K-12 education. The forecasts were dire. The 2021 legislative session was shaping up to be a fiscal nightmare. Well, I'm pleased to report that our current fiscal outlook is much better than the bleak forecast from last spring. Now, as many of you know, uh, when the pandemic hit, I vetoed $1 billion out of this current year's budget. I also instructed our executive agencies not to spend 100% of the appropriated funds because we didn't know for sure how much revenue we'd be taking in. However, because Florida's economy is open, revenue is coming in at levels far higher than even the most recently revised estimates. For the last three months, December, January, February, preliminary estimates peg the increase in revenue at more than $800 million over and above the December revenue estimation. Florida is also below the national average in unemployment and much lower than our peer states of Texas, New York, and California. We also anticipate downward revisions of December's unemployment numbers to reflect even stronger job growth. And as international travel is reinstated and tourism picks up, and I hope the federal government will allow our cruise ships to sail again, they're ready, the employment outlook in Florida should improve even more. And throughout this entire pandemic, Florida has not touched one red cent from our rainy day fund. So the bottom line is this. By saving Florida's economy, our budget outlook is much more positive. So there's Governor DeSantis saying uh, that we have saved Florida's economy. The budget outlook is positive. But again, there's a budget shortfall. There's still a lot of people out of work. Tourism, which is the biggest sector of Florida's economy, is still uh, in a world of hurt. Right. I, the, um, he talked about Florida having a low unemployment rate, lower than the nation as a whole. I'm not sure where that comes from or what source or what figures he might be using. Uh, the last time I checked, the national unemployment rate uh, in January was 6.3 percent. In Florida, it was 6.4. I don't know the unemployment rates in Texas, California, and New York. But in general, Governor DeSantis's portrayal of the state's economic situation and of the coming state budget, which the legislature has to approve in this session, was very highly optimistic, significantly more optimistic than the comments you're seeing from, for example, State House Speaker Chris Sprouls, uh, who says things like tough decisions are coming. Will we see cuts in Medicaid reimbursement? Will we see cuts in education funding? Uh, DeSantis says he's ardently opposed, adamantly opposed to cuts in education funding, uh, but exactly what amounts to a cut and what doesn't is something that can be open to interpretation. So we'll have to see how the legislature deals with the budget. The governor proposed a state budget with a substantial increase of more than $4 billion increase to $96.6 billion in the state budget. And several legislators have been quoted in the lead up to the session as saying that that they think that is very optimistic. They might not be able to to reach that given state revenues. Yeah, and let's actually listen to the to the part of the speech here where uh, Governor DeSantis talked about uh, education funding. 
I just want to make it very clear, I reject reductions in funding for K-12 education. Last session, the legislature answered my call to increase the average minimum salary for teachers, taking Florida from the bottom half of states to the top five. I think we should keep that momentum going. We can do even more this year. We also shouldn't forget that Florida continues to make great strides in K-12 education. Just last week, the College Board released data showing Florida ranks number two in the nation in the percentage of graduating seniors who have passed advanced placement exams. Florida, of course, leads the nation in school choice. And of course, we're beginning to place a strong and long overdue emphasis on vocational and technical education. Florida has also launched an ambitious civics initiative so that students can understand the principles that make our country unique. Florida is leading on education, and we must continue to do so. So, William, what's interesting to me about this part is the governor's talking about K through 12 education. He didn't really talk about higher education in this speech. Uh, he did talk a little bit about uh, vocational training and things like that and, and, and improving what the state does uh, in that area. But there has been some discussion, William, among lawmakers of raising tuition for the state's public colleges and universities, uh, which has remained flat for about a decade. There's also been maybe some discussions of changes to the Bright Future Scholarship, which is funded uh, through through lottery proceeds. What what have we seen so far from uh, from DeSantis, maybe not in the speech, but maybe elsewhere uh, with his thinking with regards to uh, to higher education? I haven't seen a specific proposal from the governor on that. Now, uh, in the Senate, Senate President Wilton Simpson is pushing uh, some legislation uh, that, as you mentioned, would include restructuring and possible cuts in bright futures. Governor DeSantis said in this speech that he wants to hold the line on K-12 education funding. But that funding, of course, is delivered on a per-student basis, and uh, Richard Corcoran, the education commissioner, has been suggesting that school districts could see cuts in their per-student funding because of students who are basically missing. They haven't been showing up for school during the pandemic. He's saying that could result in reductions to their budgets. You're listening to Florida Matters. We're talking about Governor Ron DeSantis's State of the State Address, and we'll continue in just a moment. This is Florida Matters on WUSF 89.7. I'm Bradley George. William March is with us this week, and we're talking through Governor Ron DeSantis's State of the State Address. So you mentioned... Um, President, uh, Senate President Wilton Simpson, uh, he is from the uh, the Tampa Bay region, from Pasco County. Uh, House Speaker Chris Sprouls is uh, is from uh, uh, Pinellas County. Of course, uh, Governor DeSantis grew up in in Pinellas, and um, the governor talked a little bit about how he wants to work with Simpson and Sprouls on uh, provisions that would uh, increase penalties for. Um, protesters who take part in, 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 in protests, and also it would make it harder, if not impossible, for state and local, uh, for local and county governments to uh, cut funding for law enforcement. And here's what the governor had to say about that. Florida is and must remain a state dedicated to law and order. When riots broke out across the nation last year, we saw cities ruined by violent mobs. Law enforcement was targeted and lawlessness prevailed. 
This was not and must never be tolerated in the state of Florida. Now, as we saw rioting in other states last year, I called up the National Guard, mobilized mobile field force teams from the Florida Highway Patrol, and worked with local officials like Jimenez and Curry to ensure that places like Miami and Jacksonville didn't suffer the same fate as Minneapolis and Kenosha. So Florida handled it, but we need to do more. Working with the president and the speaker, as well as law enforcement groups across the state, we have proposed the strongest anti-rioting pro-law enforcement reforms in the nation. We will not permit localities to jeopardize the safety of their citizens by indulging in the insane fantasy of defunding law enforcement. We will not allow our cities to burn and violence to rule the streets, and we will not leave any doubt in the minds of those who wear the uniform that the state of Florida stands with you. To paraphrase an old Merle Haggard song, when you mess with the men and women in law enforcement, you're walking on the fighting side of me. So the governor ending there with a, with a, a, a paraphrase of, of Merle Haggard. And again, this is something that is uh, that's that's really red meat for the for the conservative base. Is this something, you know, I think about the mayor of uh, of, of Tampa, Jane Castor. She used to be the, uh, the the chief of police here. You know, is this something that cities and counties are asking for in terms of these new new so-called anti-riot laws and also these restrictions on on uh, cutting police funding? Uh, I'm not aware of any city or county asking for that. The, um, the, the, the essential thrust of what DeSantis is proposing is enhanced penalties for crimes that are already on the books if they are committed in the context of a demonstration or a riot, plus allowing any citizen to file an objection to a plan by a city council or board of county commissioners to cut funding for law enforcement. Now, this most governing boards, city councils, county commissions, I think are likely to be at least somewhat leery of this as yet another infringement on their budget-setting prerogative, just one of many, many instances of the state legislature preempting or overriding the functions of local government in recent years. And, uh, of course, the Democrats had uh, a response to uh, what the governor had to say. We heard from uh, Senator Gary Farmer of Fort Lauderdale and uh, one of the Democratic leaders in the House, State Representative Bobby Dubose. Here's a little bit of their, uh, of their response to the governor's address. Well, I'm here to talk about some of the things the governor may have left out of his speech and tell you about some of the things you need to hear. Getting a governor's agenda into law takes a willing partner in the state legislature. In an unprecedented time, with over 30,000 dead from the coronavirus, roughly 2 million infected, and a damaged economy still in survival mode, our Republican governor has made the dissolution of your First Amendment rights his top priority, and protecting violence inciting hate speech on the Internet as his second. 
Despite the wide path of destruction COVID has cut in Florida and the heavy toll it took in and on Floridians' lives, the governor and Republican lawmakers have crafted legislation to muzzle our people and restrict our speech instead of giving our health and economy the attention that they so desperately need. Can anything be more insensitive or tone deaf? Well, as it turns out, yes. Yes, there can be. Over the past two months, Senate and House committees have been meeting to hear legislation which will have a profound impact on Floridians' daily lives and our state as a whole. Republicans could have spent that time combating the virus that destroyed scores of small businesses and crafting bills to help those still trying to hang on. They could have laid out consumer-friendly legislation to help stem the rising power of the insurance industry over Florida's homeowners with never-ending rate hikes and dwindling coverage. Or they could have revamped a broken unemployment system that still owes benefits to some who've been out of work for nearly a year. And they could have and should have expanded Medicaid, drawing in the billions of dollars Floridians sent to Washington to pay for affordable health care. For the working poor of Florida and the thousands who lost their insurance coverage along with their jobs. But none of that happened. Instead, here's some of the legislation they're teeing up for passage and the governor's desk for signature. Anti-minimum wage. Anti-health insurance coverage. Anti-state pensions hitting police, firefighters, nurses, and other public workers. Anti-vote by mail and bills aimed at privatizing public schools and draining more public tax dollars for private schools that answer to no one. We all want what's best for Florida, but as Democrats, our vision is quite different from what you heard from Republican leadership. The coronavirus pandemic dominated almost every aspect of our lives over the past year. With Florida having nearly two million diagnosed cases and over 30,000 deaths, we've never experienced anything like this before. How we respond, how we help Floridians, will be the only important measure of success for this upcoming session. But how do we build Florida back stronger and better than before? I believe we can seize this opportunity for the future of our state. We can turn away from old ideas that do not work in 21st century Florida. I think it's important to focus on what the legislature can do to solve the problems we're facing. Focusing on what's impossible or what others are doing doesn't move Florida forward. The people sent us to Tallahassee to respond to this crisis, and we need to take that job very seriously. Florida cannot be a national leader and world destination if we are locked in old, outdated ways. We can change our regressive tax policies and move away from low-wage jobs. We have a new president in Congress, and as leaders, we're expected to put aside party politics to work with our federal partners to fight for Floridians. At the same time, our local governments, those closest to the people, need us to focus on state issues and not meddle in their business when they make choices for their communities. Honestly, the priorities we're seeing from our state leaders so far worry us. Instead of immediately trying to pass something 
that directly helps the people of Florida, we see political distractions. We're worried about House Bill 1, the governor's anti-protest bill that attacks our First Amendment rights. We're worried about efforts to make voting harder here in Florida, attacking a vote-by-mail system that until 2020 benefited Republicans. And we're confused that state leaders would focus their energy on social media companies and foreign countries while Floridians are struggling. William, uh, Democrats don't have a whole lot of power in Tallahassee beyond uh, the Agriculture Commissioner, Nikki Freed. Um, do you expect Democrats to really be able to, to shape the, uh, the agenda in any, uh, any meaningful way in this, uh, in this coming session? Well, the answer to that, Bradley, is, is absolutely not. The um, Democrats have been a minority in both houses of the legislature for some two decades now. The last several election cycles, they've slowly, gradually gained back some seats, and they hope to gain some seats back in this past election in November. Instead, they lost them. The result of that is that 24 of the 40 senators, 60 percent, are Republicans. In the House, it's 78 Republicans out of 120, or 65 percent, in both houses very close to, though not quite, two-thirds supermajorities for the Republicans. Now, the result of that is if you're a Democrat, the idea that a piece of legislation you sponsor gets passed is virtually impossible unless there's a special arrangement made between yourself and the Republican leadership to favor that particular bill. The House Speaker and the Senate President, of course, both come from the Republican Party. They appoint committee chairman. Committee chairman, in turn, decide which bills get heard in committee. The bill cannot go to the floor of the House unless it's approved by at least one committee first. So what that means is Democrats have essentially no line into seriously influencing legislation unless they make some sort of a deal with the Republican leadership. And just looking through the speech, it is it is a pretty, for the most part, a pretty partisan Republican speech. He does uh, mention mayors at one point when he, and he's talking about these, these law enforcement bills. And the two mayors he mentions are uh, Lenny Curry of Jacksonville, who's a Republican, Carlos Jimenez, who's the former uh, mayor of Miami-Dade County, who's a Republican and who's now uh, a, a member of Congress. So there wasn't really... If you're looking for some kind of bipartisan appeal, at least explicitly in what the governor had to say, it wasn't really in the remarks. And other than Lenny Curry, the mayors of pretty much every major city in Florida are Democrats. And again, as you just pointed out, Governor DeSantis did not mention Democrats in his speech, no outreach to Democrats, no attempt to urge them to work with him on legislation no attempt at at what's being discussed at the federal level as unification or or healing divisiveness. Anything else in the in the speech that, uh, that jumped out at you? Uh, again, Bradley, I just say two things: one, the optimism; uh, second, the sort of self praise, uh, lauding his achievements as governor. Clearly, looking forward to two upcoming elections. Next next year, 2022 re-election and a possible 2024 presidential race. 
All right. Well, we'll keep our eye on that as we uh, as we move to statewide elections next year. Uh, William March, we always appreciate your uh, your insight. Thanks so much for joining us today. Glad to be here. That's our show for this week. Denora Prevost is our producer, and we had help this week from Craig George, Blake Bass, George Galvin, and Jose Jimenez. And thanks to the Florida Channel for providing audio of the governor's remarks. I'm Bradley George. Thanks for listening. Hope you'll join us again next week.